0: weeks ago, I decided to start this podcast with a random dog fact every time, and now I can't remember one. But maybe my guest today, my friend Kayla, has a fun and random dog fact for we us. We learned
1: a fun and random dog fact today about dew claws. Oh yes! <laughs> <laughs> Most modern dogs are not born with rear dewclaws, except for some breeds like Great Pyrenees, which still have double dew claws. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and briards. And briards?
0: Yeah, briards. Huh. I didn't know that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My border Collie Puppy Chai, also has rear blue claws. Yeah. Well, we were just wondering about that. Anyways, welcome to the podcast, Kayla. Yeah, Please thank you. introduce yourself, your dogs, your pronouns, your cat, <laughs> anything else you'd like our listeners to know.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, my name is Kayla Pratt. I'm super excited to be here. My pronouns are she, her. I am a certified dog behavior consultant and I live in my van and travel the world as a conservation detection dog trainer. I have two border collies, so we've got two and a half year old Niffler who's sitting in between us right now. He's a little blue merle border collie who's very sweet and he loves his toys and he's very good at finding dead bats Um, (laughs) and giving kisses. Thank you, Niffler. Um, And then I have nine and a half year old Barley, who's also a border collie that I got from a shelter in Denver. And he is kind of my main working partner at this point. He is absolutely nuts for toys and just a goofy, very serious, very honorable dog. And then we've got Norbert, who is my roughly one year old cat that I found in a ditch who likes going on walks and exploring the world in a way that I think a lot of cats kind of don't get to. I love that he's
0: living the van life and seems to be enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And you just told me you can take him on off-leash hikes with the dogs yeah. you. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, he's a really cool cat. and It was very much so. So I found him in a ditch when I was on a run in Nebraska. You know, I find this screaming cat in the ditch. And the first thing I do is try to find his owners. And then the second thing I do is try to find other people who want him. And in the process, I realized that he was actually the sort of cat that I've always thought I wanted to find, but didn't know if I would ever find, which is just super confident, super playful and cuddly and sweet with my dogs. A little spicy, too, because he is a cat. He loves being in the car. He sleeps on my dashboard while I'm driving. He goes on hikes. He goes to the beach. I wasn't looking for a cat, I wasn't planning on a cat, but he very much so earned his keep. It was like, all right, I can't let this one go. This is not the sort of cat that I can just expect to find another one with the same temperament when I feel ready
0: yeah nice
1: so <laughs> right cat wrong time but you know we made it work
0: <laughs> yeah he's just lying on my desk and watching Nippler and Chai Chai is still not sure what she thinks of Norbert whether she wants to be afraid of him or try to make friends but he's a very <laughs> good teacher and he is setting appropriate boundaries with her
1: yeah yeah and he can't quite decide whether he's relaxed and wants to play and look out the window and think about other things or if he just wants to supervise Chai and make sure she doesn't make any unauthorized advances <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, went after her yesterday when she got too close. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's been setting some boundaries. We're watching him pretty carefully to make sure he doesn't get too stressed out and need to take him away. But so far, I think he's handling it.
0: And so is she. She's relaxing here now. She's doing
1: great, yeah.
0: Oh, and so is Niffler. What a Aww. good dog. Oh, we have such good dogs. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who taught them to do this? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, the thing we wanted to talk about today, I want this podcast to be about living off the beaten track and mm-hmm. dogs and tracks. Dog And it is kind of rare that I get the opportunity to get both of those together. And you are the perfect guest for that. You are living off the beaten track with dogs and a cat. Yeah. I just thought, let's talk about living life on our own terms and maybe not the way that the child raising manual (laughs) told our parents that their kids will spend their adult lives.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny. I think about this a lot. When I was a kid, I was a huge reader. And I remember at some point pulling books off of our bookshelf, trying to find something I hadn't read in the house yet, and finding the section of our bookshelf that were books that my parents were reading. Primarily my mom. My dad isn't a huge reader. And one of the books that I pulled off was something along the lines of Raising Strong Independent Daughters. Oh. Um, and I think about the fact that I found that book and that my mom had clearly read that book when I was, I was probably seven or eight at this yeah. point. And I just think like... Wow, I don't know if she really knew exactly what she was getting in for, but she certainly succeeded. She did. Have you talked to her about this? Um, Some. The other book that I remember, um, and this was actually a book they got for me to read, was a book called Girls Who Look Under Rocks.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, so um, they wanted you to become a biologist, which yes. you did.
1: Yeah, my dad wow. is a conservation biologist, Yeah. and I was, as a very young child, was very outdoorsy, My first friend, quote unquote, was a toad Mm -hmm. (laughs) that lived under our porch.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah, I was just always really into bugs and creepy crawlies and those sorts of things. And this book, Girls Who Look Under Rocks, was all about Rachel Carson, Jane Goodall, Sylvia Earle, like these really famous female naturalists. And uh, yeah, my parents definitely... It's funny because I actually think they did kind of shape me this way, but I... I don't know if even they quite knew what that was going to mean as far as where my life has gone. Because I have lived a very non traditional life so far.
0: (laughs) Have they always supported you in that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've always been, I think they worry, you know, so for context, I live in a van with my dogs, uh, and primarily alone. And I have been traveling in Central America, primarily alone, and I've also driven up to the Arctic Ocean alone, so driven, you know, through the Yukon and the Northwest Territories where you see maybe a dozen cars a day, you're in grizzly country, and all that sort of stuff. And I think, you know, they worry, but I think they worry kind of less than a lot of parents would. Yeah. So they've broadly been supportive. They've never really tried to tell me not to do something.
0: Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
1: very lucky with them. And uh, it's It's always interesting to think of the counterfactual of like, would my personality be exactly how it is right now if my parents had squashed it or shaped it in a different way?
0: That is super interesting. I did not know that about your parents. Yeah.
1: I am not this way despite my parents, which is funny because I think a lot of people who are, you know, like the van life, nomadic traveler type. I think that often does come a little bit more contrary to your parents. Yeah, a lot of
0: rebellion mm-hmm. that grows into
1: something else, yeah. Yeah. Or your parents lived that similar lifestyle, um, so you grew up in it. And my parents were very, you know, they, they owned a house, they had two kids. Pretty normal. Yeah. Normal upbringing, but they really fostered a lot of independence. Yeah. And then it worked out. Right, Niffler? Yeah. It was
0: interesting to think about these things. My dad very much fostered interest in nature and mm-hmm. independence as well, like me as a kid and was very supportive in me just doing whatever I wanted to be doing and being uh-huh. outdoors and climbing trees and, you know, that sort of thing. I specifically remember one time I climbed a tree because <laughs> I love climbing trees. Uh-huh. I got up too high and didn't know how to come down and mm-hmm. I, I <laughs> called for help. And my dad was like, well, you got up there, you figure out how to come down again. Uh-huh. And of course I did figure it out. That is still, I am still that person in a way. Yeah. Sometimes I find myself in a situation where I'm like, well, that is not ideal. But I always find my way down the tree. Yeah, that's a
1: good metaphor. No, and I think about a lot. So I grew up in a very conservative, extraordinarily rural part of northern Wisconsin. And I think about some of the people that I was friends with in middle and high school. And their parents were much more cautious and controlling with the kids. And the divergence in our lifestyles as we've gone on has been really stark. You know, these, these kids that I was... I mean, they're no longer kids, they're now in their late 20s, early 30s, that we had stuff in common then, but just our personalities have continued changing, and I think yeah. so much of that is, it is the parenting, because again, I think you kind of can turn out, quote unquote, this way, <laughs> yeah. uh, for a bit of shorthand, despite your parents, but it's yeah. a lot easier if your parents are supportive of yeah. it. Yeah,
0: no, I think so too. Are you still friends with the people from the town you grew up in?
1: I, no, not really. I have a couple friends from my hometown, but most of them are much more kind of off the beaten path like I am. You know, there's kind of a group of us who had the more hippie, weird, college professor type parents, even though I wasn't necessarily closer with them when I was 14. Those are the friendships that have survived now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There's one friend I still have from the town Mm -hmm. I grew up in. Our dads were best friends. Oh, funny. Yeah. And yeah, we talk about twice a year on the phone mm-hmm. and then we just talk for five hours because we haven't yeah. spoken in so long. But like otherwise, our everyday lives are completely different. Uh-huh. She's married. She's got two kids. Mm-hmm. Being a mom has been her dream for a long time. Yeah. And our relationship feels like I'm an only child and it feels like she's my sister. And I imagine that's what it would be like to have a sister you get along with really well and who accepts you and embraces you and Mm -hmm. all your changes. Because I'm such a different person than she is. But I feel like just being in her life, I'm also enriching her kids' lives. And that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I know I've had friends... Say this to me that my lifestyle inspires them, mm-hmm. and some of them have even said that they're envious of my lifestyle. Which, and I recently had this we were, I don't actually think we were talking about this earlier, but so just a couple months ago, I had two very good friends from college get married more or less back to back, and I had a bit of an emotionally challenging time, particularly at the second wedding because I felt lonely and I was watching all of my college friends get married to people that they met in college, and mm-hmm. I am single and you know I'm 29 and I don't want kids so I don't have that particular time crunch but um you know I was having a bit of an emotionally challenging time at these weddings because you're just kind of having love smashed in your face (laughs) you know it's, (laughs) it's so lovely and you're so happy for people but it's also hard So I had a lot of these conversations with people about, you know, they were like, yeah, and I know you're sad and like, we support you and we love you. And you know, what can we do to make it better? But also like you are making these choices and you are living this really beautiful, cool lifestyle that we're all jealous of. Yeah. And it was nice. They said it a little bit better than I'm saying it, because I kind of feel like I'm coming off as like, oh, buck up. Your life is cool in other ways. And that's not, they said it better than that. Yeah. But it's an interesting reminder. I think you're constantly making some of those trade-offs when you choose to live this far off the beaten path.
0: Yeah, totally. I was recently thinking back to, I had a boyfriend in college, and I remember making a very conscious decision. He was a few years older, so he was finishing university a little bit before me. Uh-huh. and like, i hadn't really even chosen we were just really good friends and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden
1: you were
0: dating we, we were dating right and i just kind of went along with it but then like i realized wait he's about to graduate and he wants that life he wants oh. that marriage that house i was like this is so not what i want there are so many things that i need to experiment by myself mm-hmm. before i am able to like i don't know if i ever want Commit to that kind of lifestyle, but if I do, I am definitely not ready for that at this yeah. age. I knew that for some reason. Yeah. And I did love it. Like we just talked about... That
1: love <laughs> and breakups and, yeah. So, and yeah, heartache.
0: Yeah. And at that point I just applied to study in the US for a year and I was going to take off a semester to travel around Peru and volunteer. Oh, cool. And um, so I was going to do all these things by myself and we really wanted to stay together. Uh-huh. I was like, well, sure. If you're supportive of my choices, he wanted to come to Peru with me. And I said, no, Uh because I needed to do this for myself and by myself. And I knew I was just becoming the person I was going to be. I'm still becoming the person I'm going to be. And I'll probably do that for the rest of my life. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So we tried the long distance thing for that semester that I was in Peru before going off to the U.S. Yeah. And I remember one day I was having a bad time and I told him and he responded, oh, I'm so glad. That makes me feel so much better That because I'm constantly missing you and I'm so miserable. Like, it makes me happy that you're miserable too. Ooh. I heard that and I was like, yeah, I can't do that. No. I can't yeah. do that.
1: Yeah, no, gosh, that's tough. I mean, yeah, we were talking about this because I'm in the process of going through a breakup right now. It's a challenging place to be and, you know, kind of knowing who you are. And, you know, we were just talking as well about how difficult it is to really love someone and to be in love and still have that part of you that knows it's not right. Yeah. And knowing how and when to move out of that and like, yeah, oh, it's just it's so hard and I wish I had like useful advice for it. But I don't.
0: No, I don't (laughs) think anyone
1: does. No, it's just hard.
0: Yeah. And I think it's hard for everyone who experiences it. Mm
1: -hmm. And at
0: the same time, I do think we all experience it slightly differently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it is harder when you live a less traditional lifestyle. Like that pool of people who match with the lifestyle is smaller. Yeah. So I think that is definitely part of the challenge. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, but I feel like also as long as I'm abroad or when I'm traveling or backpacking, then it's very easy to find these people. Yes. It's like you have a radar for them. Yeah. And you find each other, but like I could not go back to live in Austria at this point because mm-hmm. people have such different experiences. Yeah. I think I would find it very hard to connect there, even though I find it very easy to connect to people when I'm traveling or when I'm abroad.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think you also run into these circles of other travelers. And yeah. It certainly helps. I'm really curious. I'm about to start a PhD program now in about two months. It's going to be my first time, A, back in academia for seven years. And kind of, I've been doing this really non traditional, I've been living in a van now for about two and a half years. And I've been living in Latin America out of the van for about nine months. I'm just, I'm very curious to see how it goes for me socially as I go back into grad school and potentially I'm running into people who have had much, much more traditional lifestyles and life paths. And yeah, especially as I get ready to re-enter the dating pool as well, because I think for me, it's friends are easier to find friends who, you know, they understand me enough. For friendship, or they have a similar enough experience for friendship, but finding someone because I do very much don't want to get married, and I don't know why, but I do. I've always known that about myself. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) It's funny. I'm like in this world where I'm like I have to justify it. I'm not judging you. But I think about it a lot for dating yeah. as far as like, yeah, finding someone who gets it and finding someone who supports it. And, you know, I know coming into my PhD, I'll be spending five years where I have a home base and I will be traveling a lot for field work because I'm in an ecology program. So I'm gonna be going to Alaska, I'm gonna be going to Central America, I'm gonna be out and about a lot. I want someone who supports me in that, and I don't necessarily need someone who is going to do everything with me or have the exact same lifestyle. Cause that's actually and that's something we should circle back to. But I don't necessarily want someone who's also just gonna be like a house husband, and it's just like yeah. going to take care of my dogs while I travel and work an accounting job or something like. Yeah. I wouldn't find that enriching or yeah. attractive, even if it might be logistically easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Don't didn't expect you. this to turn into a dating conversation. <laughs> yeah. this is... <laughs> so it's a good conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, Part of the reason that once was in Mexico, one Guanajuato though, was getting just too dry for my taste mm-hmm. and too y. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted more trees and yeah. a little cooler, but also I wanted the dating pool of Mexico City. Right, yeah, I
1: remember that because we last met in November, Yeah. so what is that, nine months ago now? Well, I don't know. Well, it's July now, no, it's August now. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, <laughs> a while ago, and yeah. I remember that being something we talked about that was factor for you. You were still in the process of deciding if you were going to stay.
0: Yeah, part of me wants to still travel, but have a home base on the shores of Lake Atlantic Guatemala. <sighs>
1: Do just love just, like
0: that I, I know. It's so yeah. beautiful. Kind of in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of dogs. Uh-huh. I also know if I did make that choice, there is a very, very slim chance that I would ever meet someone there. Yeah. I'm okay with that because I'm the kind of person who is enough for themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I have friends, I have dogs, I have this, I have that. I never yeah. get bored. But um, I'm not ready to make that choice yet. I also yeah. know like I'm really picky. My bar is so high. Yeah. Mostly because I feel like I have a very good
1: life. I like the life that I'm living. Like what I was just saying. Is someone yeah. has to actually enrich your life. I know. And yeah.
0: that's much harder if you're not. Like you just said for example. You don't feel the clock ticking because you want kids or whatever. Yeah, you, you don't have these pressures. You like the life that you have chosen for yourself. There is always a bit of a trade-off. For me to be willing to make compromises for someone, mm-hmm. that person to be pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. My temporary residency is going to run out in three and a half years.
1: Okay, so and you've got time. But... I've got
0: time, and if then, I don't qualify financially for permanent, and I will not in the next four years either, I know that. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to live illegally in Guatemala than in Mexico, so yeah. that's probably the choice I... Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know, if you ask me today. But also, everything changes all the time. But like, if I choose to do that, well, I have three and a half years. Because if I did choose, okay, I want to live in this place that I really love. And I'm making the trade-off of just not really meeting many new people there, probably. I will... Oh, careful. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Life with dogs. Yeah. I will know that yeah this is what I'm choosing yeah and um, so I want to be in a place where it's easy to meet people for a little bit longer yeah
1: yeah I have a similar but different calculus where so my the property that I grew up on is 40 acres in Northern Wisconsin and my dad again conservation biologist has been rewilding this property for 25 years. It's got ponds. It's got a trout stream that runs through it. It's partially prairie. It's partially forested. It's a little slice of heaven. It's a 10-minute drive from the shores of Lake Superior. Wow. And I would love to live there with my dogs one day. Yeah. But I also would like to live there with a partner. Yeah. And I am very aware that I don't think I will move there until I am married. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also, you know, my dad still lives there. (laughs) I'm not going to move in with my dad. I love him very much. But that would not be a good situation for us.
0: So you you have to marry someone who wants to
1: live in Wisconsin. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's not that I necessarily feel that I have to live there, but I would like to. And especially, I'm a millennial. I don't necessarily see myself being able to afford the equivalent of that property elsewhere. Yeah. And it is something, especially because, you know, I train conservation dogs. So having access to acreage where I can train the dogs is huge. And it's definitely something that is a big goal for me, ultimately. Yeah. But yeah, I don't see myself moving there and then trying to enter the dating pool in that area. No. It wouldn't work for
0: me. Yeah. It's interesting, it's like true. that almost sounds like it's a little harder for you because you have that goal. Getting married is something on your bucket list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not on my bucket list. Like if it happens yeah. and the right person comes along, then I'm ready for it now.
1: Yeah. It like wasn't when I was in college, but now it would be. Niffler, uh uh-uh. uh. Thank you. What are you doing? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think I can be happy both ways. I just don't mm-hmm.
1: want to close that door. Yeah. Quite yet. Yeah. 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 Okay, so circling back on one of the things that we said. One of the things that I ran into... I spent about nine months living in Denver, Colorado, before I started on this American Highway road trip that I'm currently doing. And I was dating pretty heavily while I was there. I was on the dating apps and I was really meeting people and kind of seeing what I could find and seeing if If I could could find something that might work while I was on the road. And um, this was the first time I really realized this was I met a couple different people who, you know, I saw their profiles or even the first couple dates. I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest person. Yeah. Like, I'm so into this this person and their lifestyle. Yeah. There's one guy in particular who, he was a National Geographic Explorer. Okay. He was a shark researcher. He'd lived okay. in, like, 17 different countries. He spoke five languages. Yeah, like he just, I mean, he was, like, the coolest guy. Apparently,
0: Denver where is the place to be?
1: Yeah, yeah, and we're still friends. But what we ran into very quickly is we went on, like, two dates.
0: Yeah.
1: And then he was off to go live in Ghana for three months. <laughs> yeah. And then the day before he got back from Ghana, I was off to go live in Kenya for two months oh. <laughs> for research. On our first date, we were talking for our travel plans and we very quickly realized it was like, oh my God, we're not going to be on the same continent for more than a week at a time, anytime in the next year. Wow. Yeah. And it was just like, shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So the person that I see that I feel like, okay, we have a lifestyle that could match yeah. and we have really similar values and really similar kind of spirit of adventure. Yeah. It would be so hard to build enough of a foundation in that relationship to get to the point where we could travel together because it would be kind of nuts for me to be like, "We've been on two dates. I'll just come to Ghana with you." Right? You (laughs) (laughs) know. it, it, yeah. Maybe maybe those two dates weren't quite
0: good enough. Like so it depends f- on where you are in your life. You yeah. Know? If it's the right month. Like yeah. that job. I mean and it's
1: that's cool. where having dogs does literally limit yeah. me as well. Just up and moving to Ghana, if I didn't have dogs would maybe be something would be on the table. Yeah. But having the dogs, it's like oh I'm not gonna much. import my dogs to Ghana. Yeah, I don't my... know.
0: Did you look up the info requirements? <laughs> I <laughs> didn't get that. Didn't.
1: No, I didn't. Yeah, and partly I was really focused on this Pan American Highway thing. Yeah. I was like, nope. Driving through Latin America is my thing right now. And yeah. that was more important to me than dating at the moment. But it has been interesting to me, and I've had that happen a couple times as I'm dating. It's so interesting trying to figure out this balance. I don't want a house husband who's super yeah. boring. But also, logistically, it's been very challenging when I do run into these people who have really off-the-beaten-track lifestyles. And I think what's going to help again is I'm going to this PhD program where now, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to at least have a home base.
0: Yeah, and people with similar
1: interests. Exactly, we'll all be coming and going. I'm going to be in the grad student pool, so probably most people I'm going to be around are going and dating, even are going to also be grad students. Yeah, that may help to try yeah. to figure out where on that spectrum I might be able to find someone where our lifestyles can mesh well.
0: Yeah, that is so. Like, Stay like, tuned. <laughs> yeah, that is so interesting. We'll have to talk again in another nine months.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe may give me a little longer than that, but. Yeah, I don't know. I spend so much time trying to think about what this could look like. And part of it, so my parents are divorced, and my parents never mm-hmm. were really a couple that made sense to me. Again, yeah. they did a great job raising me, but they didn't really have anything in common. Yeah. And their relationship was never super loving. And that's about the worst thing you can say for it. Like, I'm not saying that as a euphemism for anything that yeah. was really dramatic. They just yeah. were a weird fit. It's definitely made me very hyper-aware. I think most children of divorcees are kind of like this, where we're very unsure about how to actually find that really healthy stable relationship it wasn't necessarily modeled for us at home and I as a behavior nerd am constantly trying to think of like what does that look like what do I need to find how do I curate that in myself and also find a partner that's going to set me up for success and like I'm making this sound like it's a really central part of my life and it kind of is but I don't know we're just on a very specific topic yeah
0: we're just recording this on the fly we didn't plan on (laughs) talking about dating but of course it is a topic and it probably looks different and for us than it does for the people who stayed in the town they grew up in. Totally. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that about your parents because I could say something similar, only that my parents did not get divorced. Oh and they should have. Uh. Even as a kid. I was like, why are you not getting I was I was not saying that, but I was thinking that. Right. Because they were clearly not happy together. They're so different. They're really different people. Both of them rape people, but they got married because my mother got pregnant. Yeah. Well, and then they just they just stayed together. Them? But they were not happy. There was no domestic violence, no, mm-hmm. nothing of that. But I am so aware that I do not want my parents' marriage.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's very reasonable to grow up in that sort of environment and be really skeptical of marriage. And for whatever reason, that is not the lesson I took away from it. Yeah. But it has made me... I actually, I was talking, this was a conversation out with my therapist like two years ago now, maybe three years ago, where he asked me, and I don't quite remember where this came from, but he asked me how I reacted during my last breakup or like the last time I was rejected. I've actually never been broken up with.
0: Yeah, you're the one doing the breakup. I've
1: ended every single relationship I've ever been in, and it's because I am so highly attuned and potentially overly attuned, I don't think so, but it's on the table, it's possible, to looking for these warning signs and trying to make sure that I don't end up in kind of a loveless marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would rather, and luckily I am at a place now where I like myself enough and I'm comfortable enough that I now am happier being alone than being in a relationship that's not awesome. Yes. But it took me a long yes. time to get
0: there. Oh my god, yes, that is so true. The just going to raid the kitchen. What are you doing? Why do you want to go up there? Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's so true. The older I get, the higher the bar gets. Yeah. Yeah, and also the older I get, the more I know what I want for myself, yeah. and the less afraid I am to ask for it. Yeah, um, yeah. good. Yeah, but... I think that's a good thing, and I think many people are not there. Yeah, I sometimes go back to that scenario. If back in the day I had married my college boyfriend, boyfriend and many people in my situation would have done that, we were not a bad fit. The reason that I didn't was probably mostly because I knew about myself that I wasn't the person who wanted to commit to someone else yet. I wanted to commit to myself first. I was still discovering who I was. And for some reason, I had the wisdom to not get caught up in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like many people actually would have done that. And Mm -hmm. I could have done that. I don't even remember what sparked that thought. You can probably hear the dogs playing now rather than my voice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've got some great bitey face, stabby paw action going on
0: right yeah. now. They are very together.
1: Yeah.
0: Niffler makes Chai look tiny. He's a huge border collie. I mean, he's not even that
1: huge.
0: He's tall.
1: He's tall. He's got a big chest. Yeah. He's very handsome. He is. He's, He's a well. very pretty boy.
0: He has excellent
1: ears. Very good ears. I worked hard for him. I taped his ears, yeah. <laughs> that was probably the meanest thing I've ever done to him. <laughs> he was very dramatic about it. I spent so much time like figuring out how to tape ears and watching these YouTube videos and watching these puppies just accept this. That was not his experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did you try to get it off?
1: He tried to get him off. We were pretty successful. So you use moleskin and liquid cement, uh, and then you put Q-tips in between two layers of moleskin to kind mm-hmm. of give it shape. At least this is specifically for border collie ears. If you want them fully upright, yeah. And um, we were pretty successful if he was totally post-puppy class, yeah, conked out. Yeah, we could get him in, and then he wouldn't necessarily notice when he woke up, and it would be okay. But if we tried to do it when he was awake, it was a big fight. I would say as a puppy get into teenagerhood, he had a low frustration tolerance and he didn't have handling issues necessarily, but being behind crate gates and seeing stuff going on was always really challenging for him and anything that he found upsetting, he was very vocal about. Oh, yeah. But it didn't last that long and now his ears are very pretty. They're (laughs)
0: perfect. Yeah. I think Chai is done teething now. Is that a correlation or a causation? That the ears usually stay the way oh, they are yeah. once the dog is done teething. I would guess that's correlation, but I don't know. Yeah her right ear wasn't sure what it was gonna do if it was gonna be yeah. up or down but now they're up and i think she's done teething so i'm hopeful that they will stay that way i've thought about going down the youtube how to tape your border collie's ears rabbit yeah. hole, and then i just decided against
1: it yeah and that right ear it's a, bit, it's a little bit more flop yeah. to it and it's funny actually niffler his right ear as well when we go on trail runs i can see that his right ear still wobbles more yeah. than the left it almost never tips down actually yeah it doesn't it doesn't But even when we're just running, you know, I spend a lot of miles behind my dogs just staring at their gait, staring at their ears, whatever. Because that's all I can really see. It wiggles more than the other. And then, you know, it's totally fine. Nobody would even notice it. Even if I didn't take him into the confirmation ring, I don't think anyone would actually notice. But it is funny that it's still got a bit more give.
0: Yeah, well, it's got a mind of its own.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Let me circle back to something completely different. Great. A well, while like I was talking about Nomadland, which I'm sure you've seen.
1: I actually, actually haven't. Or read.
0: No, no I am
1: the worst about watching movies. I, I haven't, haven't seen been, anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, the movies I watch is because I have friends who make me watch that movie. They're like, yeah. this movie, you got to see this movie. Let's watch this movie together now. And then I watch the movie. Yeah. Otherwise I wouldn't be watching any movies, but hey.
1: I've definitely gotten worse since living in a van too, because yeah. I don't have consistent Wi-Fi, so mm-hmm. I can't stream stuff, but I'm aware of the basic premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So.
0: So anyway, so this friend of mine, we watched a movie together, I don't know, like when it came out. That's a, when was that? A couple of years ago. Yeah,
1: like 2018, 2019. It was pre-pandemic
0: at some point. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it was shortly pre-pandemic. Yeah. I, anyway, yeah,
1: somewhere yeah. in
0: there. And then he had just read the book, so that's why it came up again. I haven't read the book, I've just seen the movie. But he said the book was way more depressing than the movie. And um. he found the movie very depressing too, and I kind of found the movie inspiring. yeah. yeah. And that is so... Ooh, there's a tense situation unfolding be- yeah. between Norbert and Shai. Chai, he's gonna beat you up.
1: Yeah, you got it, Norby. Niffler, do you want to go rescue your kitty? Where's your kitty? He did such beautiful splitting behavior yesterday. Yeah, now he's totally forgotten who his kitty is.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sometimes your head is full of cotton. <laughs> <She's
0: laughs> <laughs> she just try to play ball.
1: Yeah. He sometimes will play with strange dodge, so we'll see if yeah, he... he wow. Yeah, he, he doesn't look like he's quite there yet, but... I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out as some sort of conflict behavior eventually. Yeah. My there was a dog at the hostel that we lived at in El Salvador that was scared of him, and it was one of Norbert's favorite things to launch onto his head out of trees and stuff, and just <laughs> run around and bite him in the butt. And... <laughs> it's, the, the dogs that are more respectful slash kind of scared of him are the ones that are more likely to get him to play with him. <laughs> really? Yeah. Poor Kobe. He was not into it. Um...
0: Yeah, Well, I would be scared of him if he lounged himself out of trees onto my head. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of inching away when he was coming on the couch behind me because he got this very sharp claws. Yeah. And then he was like scratching the couch a little bit and I'm like, yeah. You're very, you look very predatory.
1: Yeah. He caught a cockroach day over there. Very predatory.
0: Nice. Master okay, but anyway, so no man <laughs> No yeah. man yeah. So my friend, who's from the US, thought it was a commentary on economic displacement Yeah. and people being forced to live in their vans because they don't have any other choice and just in their heads making it out as if it was their choice because that's how you make yourself feel better about the life that yeah. you have to live, not that you have chosen. I didn't interpret it that way, but of course it could be that too. Yeah. So I was
1: really curious if you had seen it and what you thought about it. I haven't, but yeah, I've heard similar kind of assessments of it. And it's something I think about some. Yeah, and I was going to ask, what made you choose to try the van life? I mean, yeah, it was a little bit of that economic displacement, definitely. Where yeah. it was like, well, I can't afford to buy a house. And even rent is high. But the big thing for me is it comes back to my job. As a conservation dog handler, a huge part of my lifestyle is traveling to field sites and working with researchers across the Americas at this point, and even occasionally flying elsewhere, but mostly the Americas right now. So once I was running my own nonprofit in the conservation dog world, I was like, well, I don't want to be paying rent somewhere for six months a year and that I'm not living. Yeah. I used to work at an organization called Working Dogs for Conservation, and they pay for my hotels when I was traveling, and I got a salary. So it was kind of okay that occasionally I would spend two months at a time not living in my apartment. But once I was running my own business and I had way less financial stability, the math wasn't (laughs) mapping. (laughs) Yeah. So instead, I chose to buy a van so that I had one $20,000 purchase that, assuming I was paying $1,000 a month for rent, would pay for itself in a little bit less than two years. But the big thing was then I could travel to these field sites and not be paying double rent. Yeah. And I could bring everything with me. And actually, this happened recently. So my last field deployment, we were in California, just north of Santa Barbara, doing mountain lion, black bear, and bobcat surveys. And I booked a dog-friendly hotel on the internet. And I go to check in when I get there. And my room does not have a microwave or a refrigerator. Yeah. Living in the van and traveling to my field sites like that, I never run into that situation. Yeah. I always have my nice propane stove. I have yeah. my fridge. I have my spice cabinet. I have everything I own. I'm never forgetting in my field gear. So that was a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, and then it also facilitates this travel lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, So definitely part of it is that economic displacement. I definitely can't afford to have a house and yeah. travel the way that I travel. But I could have afforded to just have a slightly less cool lifestyle and had a apartment. Yeah. It is a really small space and there are definite downsides. The reason I'm in Mexico City right now is because my house has engine trouble, <laughs> which is a pretty yeah. frustrating situation to be. in. Yeah, <laughs> Most houses don't have engine problems. Right. Yeah. Mine does. Does that's that
0: part answer you're the getting? Question? Yeah. That's the part you're getting shipped, is a pretty the engine?
1: Yes. Here. Yes. So my EGR valve is broken. Whatever um, that is. Yeah, it's a part of the air filtration system that basically it's an efficiency thing. So if now we're in car talk. Oh my uh, gosh! <laughs> I should not. Have. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's cool. It takes the air that comes out of your engine uh-huh. and it pushes it back through for another cycle. Ah. And mine is getting stuck, Mm -hmm. closed, so then my engine is running on really, really low oxygen and therefore low power. Ah. So I'll be like flooring it, trying to go up a hill and going like 20 miles an hour. Oh yeah. And I'm always worried that I'm doing damage to the engine or something like that. I've taken the part out and cleaned it and yeah. put it back in and that kind of helps, but it doesn't fix it, so it don't, it needs a new part. Yeah.
0: Well hopefully on Friday you will Hopefully Yeah, I've
1: been like opening Amazon every day, <laughs> being like it crossed the border today. Like, nice. Just, yeah. yeah, that is the nice
0: thing about Amazon. It's just yeah. like, no,
1: okay, it's there. It's on, this, yeah. on its
0: way. It's being tracked.
1: Yeah, I found the part through a Mexican website, and it was more expensive, and it was going to get here August twenty third. So I oh, said, so
0: Mercado Libre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You find everything on Mercado Libre. Yeah, right? but it
1: wasn't going to get here until August twenty third. We're reporting on what, August. 7th? 8th um, right now? 9th? 9th, yeah. August 9th. I have to look <laughs> So yeah, I was gonna get here August 11th. The one that I ordered is gonna yeah. here August 11th. And I'm kind of ready to go and get yeah. out, out of the city. I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to spend that long. Urban van life in particular is not very fun. Yeah, in a city this big where there's parking rules, and one of the things I love about living in a van is I can go park on some back dirt road or a camp spot or whatever it is, whether it's a legal official place or not. Yeah, and I can open my door and put Norbert on a thirty foot leash and let the dogs off leash, or maybe put them on leash, kind of depending on the situation, and just kind of use wherever I am as my backyard. Yeah. And I can't do that when I'm urban, and it is such a small space to be kind of cooped up in the 24 7 together.
0: Yeah, imagine for the animals and for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and
1: I think particularly if I just had one of the three animals, particularly I think it was just Norbert or just Farley, yeah. my mm-hmm. older Border Collie, it would be quite so bad, but having three is a lot. And then also Niffler is two and a half, almost three years old. He's a working Border Collie. It's a lot to keep him happy in a space that small. You know, I'm aware of the ethics of keeping three animals in a space that small. Mm-hmm. If you're ton of space. We were
0: just talking about that the other day. Yeah. Huh? You're embracing that... How do you put it?
1: Uh... I don't know how, but it was something about yeah, like kind of embracing the fact that sometimes my animals are going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think that's something that, as a baby positive reinforcement trainer in particular, that was something that I don't
0: know. Yeah, yeah, no pain,
1: no stress, no frustration. Only our plus. Only our plus. Good vibes only. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Is that. Like, that's on some of these dating profiles. <laughs> oh, no. At least on the Spanish ones. Solo yeah. buenas uh-huh. And yeah, so I when have... I said that, i left. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, I was totally that way. I remember mm-hmm. when I had just started doing this professionally and leaving my other jobs behind. I was getting a haircut. I was having a conversation with the person cutting my hair uh-huh. who, who was like, into a season lamb. Now I would just let the person say their thing and nod and let them finish my hair and be yeah. out of there. But of course, I totally wanted to convince this person why there were other different and scientifically and ethically speaking superior methods of yeah. training dogs. It felt really important. Yeah. And now I'm like, I mean, whatever, you know, if you don't want to learn what I have to teach, that's fine with me. Yeah 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 no exactly and also I'm aware that there are so many ways of getting a behavior and I choose the way I want to get it and you can choose the way you want to get it and that's fine
1: yeah it doesn't have to be a one size fits all solution yeah I don't feel the need to evangelize as yeah. much as I oh, used yes. to oh yes yeah and I think a huge part of that has also been realizing how immersive that experience is for me trying to go into these conversations yeah. it's a long road to of figure out how to balance that and take care of yourself honestly because when people aren't inviting that conversation I find it very rarely goes well so you're no it doesn't because you're stressing un- yourself and them out by you're giving them to-
0: unsolicited advice and yeah, I hate when people give me unsolicited yes. advice It's so like why would I give it and also by now I've gotten to know more balanced trainers who I really really respect and yeah. like I'm learning from and initially
1: oh, our <laughs> dogs are
0: falling asleep next to each other in yeah.
1: Niffler is almost touching Chai in the face Aww.
0: I'm learning from them And in the very intense, positive, reinforcement-only community, the most acceptance that you get is like, oh, yes, we invite the balance trainers into our territory because they can learn from us. Right. We're so open that we want to share our superiority with them, right? It feels like that's the underlying current there. And by now, I'm calling so much bullshit because there's so much I have to learn from balance trainers, mm-hmm. as balance trainers may have to learn from other trainers. I feel like every single trainer I have met, I've learned something from. Totally. And sometimes it's just like how I don't want to do things, but that's yeah. also fine. And I'm sure that people have learned that from me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think
1: for me so much, of it comes from like, I have so much angst and guilt about giving my dogs an amazing day every day. That is a core value of finding. Yeah. I'm not saying it isn't. But this has been something that's been on my mind a lot as we're pursuing funding to make a project happen where my dogs and I would be flying from the USA to Cali, Colombia, which is like a 20-ish hour travel situation because you have to fly from somewhere in the U.S. to somewhere else in the U.S. and then from there to Bogota and then from Bogota to Cali. Mm -hmm. There's no shorter way to do it. (laughs) And thinking about putting my dogs under the belly of the plane and flying that long and I've never flown with my dogs before. And I'm anxious about it. I've been having to really try to get myself used to the idea that I think my dogs are resilient enough that that will be a bad day for them. And they won't have a great time, but they will come out of it okay. And it is not so terrible of a day that I'm unwilling to do it. Yeah. I think a lot of people in the positive reinforcement world are kind of uncomfortable with making that decision of when to know that you're putting your dog in a situation that they might not enjoy or your cat. You know, we were talking yeah. about this as well with Norbert, you know, like, do we need to remove him from your apartment to give him a break from chai? And, you know, yeah. I'm kind of watching him and I'm like, yeah, he's not. I mean, now he's relaxed, but yeah. He's not having a great time right now, but I think he's handling the stress. And I think this is a learning experience for both of them. And we even made a joke about like there should be another word for enrichment. But it's yeah. not necessarily like this isn't like good for Norbert, but it broke up the monotony of it the is, day. Yeah. And he was, he was exhausted last night. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> After we spent a couple hours here and slept in the crook of my head. knee all night and huh. was just so lovely. And usually yeah. he's very active overnight. Yeah. So anyway, it's a hard line to figure out how to walk. And I wouldn't necessarily fly my dogs to Columbia just for vacation. Yeah. But for our job and something that I'm really passionate about and as their profession and they will get there and they will have... My dogs love to work. And I think if I could ask them, hey, are you willing to stuff yourself in a crate in the underbelly of a plane for 20 hours in order to go do six weeks of playing your favorite game in the high alpine of this place? Do you want to go? I feel pretty confident they would say yes to that. And I think that's maybe part of how I try to think about this discomfort. If I could explain to them, do I feel feel like they would choose this. Yeah. Even if it's uncomfortable. And there's no way of knowing in most situations. No, in
0: the end it comes down to us and who we are as people. Yeah. Because you would say yes to it. Yeah. You would go under the belly of the plane for 20 hours. Totally.
1: Yeah, and I try really hard to make sure that I'm selecting my dog for this line of work that would make that choice. Yes. And then I also try to put in the training and the socialization and whatever, whatever, to make sure that that isn't going to be horribly traumatizing for them. Yeah. As far as flying
0: is concerned, if it's less than a month and and it's visiting somewhere, I don't think I would do it. But as long as it's more than a month. Mm -hmm. I've flown with dogs about 10 times by now. Yeah. Intercontinental almost every time. Yeah. And never had a bad experience. Always had the dogs come out the other side wagging. No mm-hmm. accidents in the crate. Yeah. So It's great to hear. Yeah, that's I, encouraging. Just knowing that and like having them pair for it. And mm-hmm. then they were really active on the of other course, side yeah, because yeah, they, they were bored. Uh-huh. Yes, the stressful situation is being in the crate while you're being loaded and unloaded. But once you're under the belly of the plane, I honestly think it's just really boring. Yeah. And if you're properly crate trained, you probably just fall asleep to the white noise.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think people get really worried about some stuff that is generally not an issue if you're flying properly, like temperature. Yeah. Things that usually the airlines, as far as I can tell, have regulations to yeah, yeah. prevent you from cooking your dog. I mean, like, like, yeah, the belly plane. Yeah,
0: it's pressurized, and it's, someone once told me, the same temperature as the cabin, oh, the part yeah. where the animals go. Oh, yeah. So the temperature thing is really only a problem in the destination or departure airports. Mm. For example, there's a cut of temperature for airports. Many flights from Latin America to the US. Going to Miami, and that's often a concern because yes, they have yep. the cutoff temperature. But the cutoff temperature is for Miami because
1: because of the like o- loading, unloading. The loading, yeah, unloading situation.
0: Sense. Once they're on the plane, they're fine. Yeah. But the loading, unloading, they may be sitting there for a little bit and be out of water. Yeah. There's no shade. But if you're flying from a cooler place into Bogota, which is also cooler, yeah. you already know that's
1: not be an issue. Right. I was thinking we'd probably try to do a red eye. Yeah. We'd probably take off either from Miami or Texas to get to Bogota. Yeah. It'll probably be Niffler who's flying with me for this project just because Barley's going to get in close enough To retirement, then he probably won't be the dog that comes. Yeah. And what I'm actually thinking about doing is, Niffler and I also compete in ski touring.
0: Oh. And cool.
1: I have a big ski race every year in February that I go home to Wisconsin for. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm moving to Oregon, it is a 35-hour drive from Oregon to Wisconsin. So for the first time ever, I'm not going to be driving home for the ski race. Uh, okay. I'm going to be flying. Yeah. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to fly NIFRO for that ski race. Uh-huh. My plan is to get him a direct flight from Portland to Minneapolis. Yeah. And do one three-hour flight as a test drive. And then I can pull him out and yeah. see how he did. Yeah, and then if he has a terrible experience, which I don't think he will. Yeah. Okay, then I'll reassess for Columbia. Plan. Yeah, that's kind of the plan I'm thinking through right now. I've been thinking
0: of something very similar for Chai. I've got a friend who's Austrian and who's going to be in New York in October. Because her partner is from the US, they have an apartment there. And his mom lives there, and I think space in the apartment where I could stay. Oh, cool. She's been pushing me to come and meet them there, and it's a four-hour direct flight from Mexico City, so I'm like... Oh, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: so that would be a perfect... I could stop. try that
0: with Chai, yeah. Yeah. Because Europe is way further. Right. Um, yeah, and, and when I do go then to then Europe, I usually go for longer periods of time, so I bring the dogs. Also, have to think about it, I'm
1: trying not to spend money, yeah. and um,
0: there are things to spend money on.
1: There. Yeah, exactly. Back to the van. I think broadly living in a van and getting to travel the way that we travel has been a plus for my dog's lives. Yeah. You know, people tell me this all the time on social media where they're like, I want to come back as your dog in my next life, and that's some of the highest praise I could ever receive. Yeah. But they do have long, boring days in a very tiny space. And I'm really lucky to get along the way that they do. Yeah. Because I think trying to move three high-energy dogs, well, animals, because Robert's not a dog as much as sometimes he acts like one, (laughs) um, into a space. You know, vans are about 80 square feet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is not the space. It's taken yeah. up with counters and yeah, yeah, yeah. your driver's seats and those sorts of things. It's an intense situation to put animals into. Yeah, but they kind of need
0: to get along. Yeah.
1: Stuff. There was a period of time where someone wanted me to do some puppy raising, socializing, um. early, like starting training on a seven, 11 month old intact female. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't think I can pull that off in a van. Yeah. I do have a crate, but it is dark and it's under my bed and you have to access it from the back of the vehicle I'm trying to do crate and rotate. Yeah. When she's in heat. When yeah. she's in heat or if there was any conflict with the boys around her. Yeah.
0: yeah. It also yeah, like three
1: dogs in a van. <sighs> I'm yeah. nuts, but I don't think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you had one, mm mm-hmm. would be a great experience for a puppy. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And for a shorter period of time. And also, I mean, I guess, yeah, for me in the van, also a huge part of it as well is that I'm the only human. Yeah. If I had another 150-pound person in the vehicle with me, that would also definitely limit the, the yeah. pets a little bit more. But yeah. it's kind of, I've got some other good friends who live in a van, and they were debating whether or not they were ready to get a dog, and they were, you know, we were talking about space, going back and forth, and they were like, how do you do it with two dogs and a cat? And I was like, honestly, my two dogs and a cat combined weigh less than a human. Yeah. And they have less stuff than a human. So yeah. you two actually have, you get to share dish duty and driving duty, so that's nice. But space-wise, I actually still have it easier than you. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's true. Yeah, yeah I often think in terms of pounds of animal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I have two 47-pound border collies and then, like, a 10-pound cat. Just over a hundred pounds of animal.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Even if I Mm -hmm. had a very tiny boyfriend, (laughs) they'd still be over a hundred pounds. It'd still be at least as big as the animals.
0: Well, you did go from El Salvador to Guatemala with another human being. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah,
1: Daniel. He's Salvadoran, and he's traveled with me to Guatemala now twice. We've gone to Honduras and Nicaragua and Costa Rica together as well. So I have actually shared the van with yeah. the three animals plus another human. Yeah,
0: how does that go? Is it harder or does it not matter because you're so close? Like you well, so
1: actually, and I should add, we also had a period of time for about four months where I was dating Danielle and my friend Tony was also visiting. And so we actually <laughs> had three people on the van. Nice. It was intense. It was a traveling circus. It is incredible that we never had any arguments. We all got along really well. And you mm-hmm. all managed
0: to sleep in the van?
1: No, so what right. we did was Tony slept in a tent. Mm-hmm. She is a big through hiker. She is actually currently hiking the Continental Divide Trail. She's hiked the Appalachian Trail yeah. and the Pacific Crest Trail already. Cool. So for her sleeping in the van when Danielle was around wasn't a huge deal. Yeah, you know, she kind of lives in a tent, so she slept in a tent most of the time, and then Danielle and I shared the bed.
0: Yeah, but yeah,
1: you, you know both of them were very aware of the situation as far as living, choosing the van and choosing yeah. the animals, and we all got along really well. I joke when I'm dating, living from the van, I've got a height limit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're six four, you're not going to fit in the van. My bed is five foot three, five yeah. foot four, I think. If you're much taller than that and you're not a side sleeper who kind of sleeps with your legs naturally curled, you're going to be really uncomfortable in the bed. And if you're six foot four, you're going to be too tall to stand in my house.
0: Um, (laughs) Plus, America's the. Plus, America's great dad. Danielle's
1: like five. Six and probably hundred and ten pounds. He was great. Yeah. <laughs> he he fit the size requirements for Pete. <laughs> you should be <laughs> Yeah, but and, and he uh-huh. also he just really loved the animals. He uh-huh. was absolutely fine with the fact that yeah. Norbert sometimes steps on your face in the middle of the night, yeah. and uh, Fleur jumps on your chest in the morning every morning when he's excited. And there's no way for him to jump into bed without landing on you. Yeah it's chaotic it's tight but we managed it with three people and three Mm -hmm. animals for almost four months continuously there were periods of time where danny went back to work in el salvador but it was it worked nice yeah yeah
0: well let's start wrapping this up because i don't know where the time goes sometimes i feel like it just got up yeah It's
1: 10 i've been tired all day today i don't know i had a weird nightmare last night yeah one got attacked by a leopard i'm like where did that come from i don't
0: know yeah well, if our listeners want to find you on the internet because they want to learn more about conservation dogs, or they want to date you
1: and live with <laughs> with you. You can't you. be too tall. <laughs> You've got a height limit. What are the requirements and where can they find you? Um... Yeah, they can find me um, for just, like, casual social stuff. Instagram is probably the best way to find me. That's Collies Without Borders. You can also find me on Twitter, slash, I guess it's X now. I'm at KaylaFrat there. And then the conservation dog stuff, we do have an online course. So if this is something that you're really excited about, want to learn more about, take our course, please. Don't just send me questions. Create the course <laughs> to solve that problem. All of that is at canineconservationist.org. So it's letter K, number nine, conservationists.
0: Cool. I will be sure to put that in the show notes. Thank you for coming on and Thank having you. a meandering conversation. We are all
1: over the place. i had a blast.
0: And happy training to our listeners. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Bye. Yeah. Bye. Oh, that was fun.